American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast. We're going to attempt time travel. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and websites, or send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension. Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters Podcast. This is Christopher. I'm here with Tom. Tom, welcome back. It's been... Welcome it all, back? It feels like it's... Did I yeah, go it, somewhere? It, it, it feels like that you haven't gone anywhere. It's just it just feels like it's been a long time since we've talked. Well, you know, I don't know why it hasn't been that long. It, we recorded a little early last time, but yeah, well, see, we've had a time change since there, so which <laughs> fit, maybe that's it. It fits perfectly with our theme these days. So yeah, that is true. That is true. We lost an hour. It's a, or no, we or we gained or lost. I have lose track we we went uh, back an hour so we gained an hour that's it we gained an hour but right? we gained an hour of darkness yeah we gained an hour but we lost the sun yes <laughs> and it's not yeah. doing either of us any good <laughs> no no we were talking a little bit before we started recording and it's just we don't remember it being like this in the past something's changed we're out of our alignment the planet is uh, hurtling into space I, I feel like this is the beginning of some one of those old sci-fi original movies that, you know, everyone, no one really notices and all the scientists are like secretly <laughs> uh, discussing the fact that the earth is moving or something. See that now you're making me think because even while I was away on my trip of all things, it's the only thing I had to watch one evening on the hotel TV was that movie The Core. <laughs> I, but maybe a film that will come up in the future of the show uh, as well. Good. Which would be fun. Uh, it's one of those, uh, it's Groner, but I, I find myself watch it when it's on. <laughs> so so, so, so uh, it was there. So yeah, no, I, I feel like we could be living in one of those scenes where something horrible happens that the scientists cause, but you, John Q. Public, don't know. Exactly. I, mean, I think I think we're on to something. Breaking news here, time shifters. <laughs> as far as watching stuff, I mean, I finished out uh, October. I think it was on Halloween night. I think I, yeah, I think it was on Halloween night. I finished the month out with House on Haunted Hill. Because oh, well, I hadn't watched it yet that month, you know. And I feel like you got to watch it at least once a year around Halloween season. See, I, I, I got to watch it a little too many times uh, through October because uh, Pluto TV was running that on riff tracks like nonstop. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. Oh, no, I, I did finally get around to seeing uh, Doctor Strange in the uh, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. A Sam Raimi film. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Takes some pretty dark turns here and there. It does indeed. <laughs> but uh, But not bad. It was it was interesting. It was an interesting watch. Well, I remember as you posted, uh, Marvel is becoming heavily reliant on that. You know what else has gone on in the Marvel universe? 
Yes, that was my one complaint about it, is it, I really felt like you needed to have watched WandaVision to really get the backstory yeah. of the events that precede this film. Yeah, you don't understand her motivation in the film if you haven't watched it, so. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of get it they give you a, a, enough exposition that you're like oh uh, okay I've, i i missed that but i i see where you're coming from right well yeah i mean it, it's it, it's not rocket science kind of stuff but um it gives far more nuance to it if you are aware of the entire story i like certainly liked uh, patrick stewart showing up that was uh, fun and very much the animated x-men uh dr xavier complete with uh uh, the music sting and uh, <laughs> yeah. and wheelchair or floating chair. Yeah, he's rocking uh, the the Professor X floating chair, the 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 nice yeah. gold yellow one. Right, but I I did like when he's moving in onto the scene. You hear that <laughs> nice touch. Yeah, no, that I I actually rather enjoy it because uh, again. Because you probably haven't watched all of the Marvel pieces at all. Um, having Captain Carter in there, they had featured her in the What If series that they had right. done. Right, yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that either. But that, I felt like I didn't really need to, you know, that was like, oh, that, this is the multiverse. And instead of Steve Rogers, it's carter so that's fine i get it yeah no again not rocket science but it's it's helpful to have the background (laughs) but yes they're becoming very reliant on their own um other stories that they have told so Mm -hmm. that's really the tall and skinny of it that's that's all i've got to report yeah no um as for myself uh uh, like we talked about uh, ahead of this, uh, did finish out uh, the rest of uh, season three of Lower Decks. Um, Great. A- a- as a non-traditional Star Trek property, I-, I-, I actually find myself rather enjoying that quite a bit. <laughs> um, it- it- it's tongue-in-cheek nature is making it too much fun. And anybody that's a real hardcore Star Trek fan will thoroughly appreciate every little Easter egg and and joke that comes up uh, like we were discussing. There's a the the first officer on board the Cerritos in this is giving uh sitting like a commander lesson and he's doing the Riker throw the leg over the back of the <laughs> ch- the chair m- maneuver and and people are watching him do it so that they can learn how to do it better. <laughs> like that's hysterical. I love that's pretty that funny. Have you heard any word on Strange New Worlds? I have not. I know neither have I. I've not seen anything. I've not heard any news about when it's coming back or no, no trailers, no teasers. Yeah, which is surprising because I mean it did get renewed. They are making more. Um, and I heard some inklings, which early on after the renewal, after it was clear they were going to be renewed, um, and they got renewed before they were done, before they even showed the first right uh, episode. But I had heard, or at least read, a few things where they were 
things could potentially go the wrong way because they might try to keep bringing back their Kirk. Mm, and no, it would be horrible. It, it really would. I mean, I don't mind that he's... I mean, he'd have to be out there anyways because he, he can't become captain of the ship in, in a few years if he's not already in Starfleet. Right. Uh, that was actually one of the things that always drove me crazy about the J.J. Abrams movies. The the notion that he came out of came out of out of the academy, stole his way onto the ship, managed to make it to XO and then CO, all in the span of one movie. I'm like, you were a cadet five seconds ago. What the hell? Right. Uh, but at any rate, so I do like that their approach right now is yes, this. This works like you think it does. He has to come up the ranks. He exists. So, and even when they teased him in the one episode, um, and had him part, it was it was a future episode that it was supposed to be down the line from where we are. Um, but yeah, if we're gonna start riding that character now, that that'll kind of ruin it for me. Yeah, because Anson Mount is truly. I mean. There's good stories, but those stories revolve around Anson Mount as the captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> well, yeah, and honestly, I love him to death. He's quickly becoming yeah. one of my favorite captains. So, I, I, I like his whole, well, his whole aesthetic and his whole attitude and the way that he approaches just being a captain. I, if they make more good Star Trek with him. He could edge out Picard for me. He has potential. He's really good. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him do more, like, the convention circuits and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, because I, I, I would love a chance to actually meet and talk to him. Because, yeah. yeah, he seems, he seems like he's got the right attitude about this, too. He's like, I get to be the captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, what a... You got it. That's something too. The, you see these actors on these, and there's times where you, you know, think that oh, they must have had a good time with that role and whatever. But there's other times when you, you you look at these people and you think they have just got to be absolutely thrilled that this is where they get to play. Right. <laughs> you know, this is their job. They did get to go on these amazing sets and do this amazing stuff. And like that's that's got to add to it. <laughs> I wish that were my job, right? To go and play, <laughs> you know, on the set of an Enterprise. I I can pretend. I yeah. I don't know if anyone would think my acting was effective, but goddamn it, I want to do it. Hey, Star Trek or Galaxy Quest? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do either one. The yeah, the the Protector was a pretty ship. Before we go to break, I, I did want to mention, especially inspired by you. Um, and recent events with Blockbuster anyways and the fact that it fi <laughs> finally uh, they've re finally retired the last place ever did they did they shut it down I think it went out of business yes oh I didn't hear that I mean I, I knew they were doing like a they were doing like a and b with it as well but I didn't know it actually right, done no, out of business I, no I'm th I'm fairly certain the the one in Alaska finally no there's one in uh, like was it Utah I think that one went before. No, that was the one that turned into the B and B. Interesting. I thought it was in Utah or uh, 
Bend, oh. Oregon. Oregon, that's it. Last I heard, it was still up and running. That's that's the last blockbuster. Yep, okay. Netflix now has a, a series, a sitcom, um, about the last blockbuster. And uh, as we were talking about before the show, I'm going to give it a little bit of a chance... It has a little bit of funny to it, but because it is just the story that they're telling with the characters that they're telling it with, um, and the thrust of the first two episodes in particular is them, the, the people that work at the Blockbuster are dealing with the fact that corporate just dissolved. It's gone. Oh, okay. So they, they're starting from that perspective when corporate blockbusters stopped being a thing. So as soon as it stopped being a thing, yes, they're the last blockbuster, but they don't have any of the stuff that makes them make blockbuster blockbuster anymore. So they now have to contend with being the franchise of a major... Um, company to being an independent store that just bears the name so there's a little comedy that ensues from the whole notion oh now i gotta figure out how to run this thing without any of the support (laughs) i had before so some of there's some of that um this is very much focused on the notions around um what it means to be a small business in a world where there are Netflix and Amazon and all of that. Gotcha. Uh, see, I did. I'm surprised. I I didn't realize that it was going to be more or less up to date. Well, I guess it's a slightly a period piece, but I, I would would have thought that if they're going to do a show about Blockbuster, they would have set it back in like heyday Blockbuster. No, no. And I think it's entirely driven by that notion of what it means. Where where does one sit in the world of commerce mm-hmm. when you you are dating yourself out of existence? Um, so, but then it gets into that whole what it means to run a local business, which is part of the thrust of the uh, the show. It's the the characters building the rapport with the customers and all that. There's some potential here if they do it right. It could be it could be cheers with a video store. The notion that the people that come into the store could be part of that story and some of the funny mm-hmm. that happens. Having worked at a Blockbuster for many years, that is kind of like the the feeling that you had when you were there. You felt like Sam behind the bar and you saw your regular customers come in and you knew their names and you knew what they wanted. <laughs> right. Know? Oh, and that that was one of the things that happened in the first episode is he had a hardcore customer who was going to the dark side and starting to stream stuff on Netflix as opposed to come into the store. So he's busy returning a video that's three years overdue, <laughs> <laughs> which that takes me back. <laughs> yeah. But while while doing that, um, the now owner of the last store is trying to go. He's trying to give it that personal touch, so he recommends a movie to the guy 
based on what he knows about him and his current life um because he's going through stuff and all that and so he mm-hmm. picks this what is it it's diane lane mo- movie uh a tuscan sun whatever it's called i forget though oh i know what you're talking like under the tuscan sun under the tuscan sun and he, and he's giving it to this butch dude and <laughs> And the guy's like, really? He's like, no, I where you are at in your life right now, you need to see this film. That's what he's telling him. <laughs> and, and by the time we get to the end of the episode, the guy does come back. He's like, you were absolutely right. It was <laughs> but it was that whole personal touch thing that they're trying to go for. But it's a sitcom without an audience, without a laugh track or anything. Right. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Because hmm. when it when you're not laughing at it, um, it's unsure. It's unclear what you're watching. Is, yeah. Is it a drama? Is it a? I don't see. It feels like it could be. It feels like it could be a a, a, a dramedy, easily. And that's probably the category it's trying to fit into. It's just uh, I, I give it a chance to. To, to form itself, but uh, at the moment, I'm on the fence. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah, you have to keep us posted on that one. So, yeah, so you got anything else you wanted to mention? I think that's probably going to do it. We should go to a break. Yeah, I think we should go to break now and then come back. All right, we will take a break, and we'll listen to a promo for another podcast. And then when we get back, we're going to look at 1979's British television show Sapphire and Steel. Welcome to the waiting room. The Rating Room is a new weekly podcast hosted by Jay and Andy. In Season 1, we'll be re-watching and discussing one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. We are re-watching the James Bond movies. Who is the deadliest Bond actor? Who are our favourite Bond girls? How did the movies perform at the box office? You can follow us on the usual social media channels by searching The Rating Room on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. You can also find more information on our website, www.theratingroom.com. You can find the show notes on our website, plus we have pages dedicated to each of the ratings and rankings, which are updated on a weekly basis. And make sure to subscribe to The Rating Room wherever you find your favourite podcast. David McCallum and Joanna Lumley are back from the future in one of the most original fantasy thrillers ever seen. When menacing forces break through the time barrier, Sapphire and Steel are there. There is a time break. They are detectives from another dimension. That's interesting. Their mission is to destroy the alien intruders. Well, somebody has to. Regain control of the present. Oh, fascinating. And restore the barriers of time. It's all very significant. It is a fantasy series of uncommon originality. Yes, it was. David McCallum and Joanna Lumley are Sapphire and Steel. All right, Sapphire and Steel was produced by ATV, and it ran from 1979 to 1982 on the British ITV network. The series was created by Peter J. Hammond, who conceived the, the program under the working title The Time Menders, after a stay in an allegedly haunted castle. 
Hammond also wrote all the stories except for the fifth, which was co-written by Don Houghton and Anthony Reed. According to a documentary found on the 2007 Network DVD release, the concept for the show originally envisioned it as a program aimed at young children and families, much like Doctor Who. This idea was dismissed with the casting of well-known actors David McCallum and Joanna Lumley. With larger name stars attached, they were able to acquire a little bigger budget, and the program was formatted for an older teenage audience and mind, and moved up the schedules from a children's afternoon quote-unquote tea time slot to an early evening slot. Uh, most ITV networks screened it, about, screened it around 7 o'clock. Despite the big-name casting, the show was not a massive hit because the haphazard way it was produced with the star's availability uh, together for filming being restricted due to other commitments. The show could never really get a strong foothold on TV due to the irregular way the stories were becoming available for transmission, and without a regular production schedule, the shows ended up showing at different times and dates all across the ITV network. And as such, production eventually fizzled out with some ITV networks, not showing the final stories until two years after they'd been filmed. (laughs) In the series, it is explained that time is like a progressing corridor that surrounds everything, but there are weak spots where time, implied to be a malignant force, can break into the present and take things. There are also creatures from the beginnings and ends of time that roam the corridor looking for the same weak spots to break through. These breaks are most often triggered by the presence of something old in a modern situation. For example, a traditional nursery rhyme, an old photograph, or a house decorated with antiques. The more old things present, the easier it is for this to occur, such as it is seen in the story we are reviewing for this episode, where the centuries-old house is full of clocks and other antiques in which a traditional nursery rhyme has been read hundreds of times as a bedtime story. When this breaking in of time occurs, and investigators will be sent by an unknown agency to assess the situation and intervene if necessary. Other break-ins investigated by Sapphire and Steele and the occasional fellow agents include people trapped in photographs, aliens from the future, ghosts lost in time, and a retro dinner party. In Assignment 1... Teenage Rob is in the kitchen doing his homework while his parents entertain his young sister upstairs with nursery rhymes and songs before bed. Suddenly, all the clocks in the house, which there are dozens, stop. He runs up the stairs to find his sister alone and his parents missing. According to young Helen, they just disappeared. Rob calls a local police constable, and no more than he's hung up the phone than there's a knock at the door. Opening the door, he finds a man and a woman who say they are here to help. They enter the house. The man is cold and rude, the woman more congenial, and introduces herself as Sapphire, the man Steel. They explain that time has broken through and taken Rob and Helen's parents. They go about investigating the house and show that they have unique abilities, including telepathy between themselves, being able to tell how old an item is by simple touch, and even rewinding short sections of time. Strange beings that have taken advantage of this breach have infiltrated the house and threaten everyone inside. It's up to Sapphire and Steel to destroy the entities and seal the breach before anyone else is taken. Now, I know this is a first-time watch for you. I am curious, did you even know about this series? Hadn't heard of it. Really? Not even a little bit. (laughs) Interesting. Very good. I came to this series, I think I... 
kind of one of those things where I, I read about it or heard about it. It was like maybe in the book about uh, the, the 10 greatest sci-fi television shows or something like this, and this was mentioned. But it was not a show that was as easily accessible here in the U.S. like something like Doctor Who. Right. And I don't remember how I first watched it. I think I must have found it on a VHS somewhere, uh, maybe at the library or at a half-price book, something like that. And that's where I first discovered and actually got a chance to actually watch the show. And I was actually pretty taken with it from the beginning, right from the start. Okay. I really liked the idea of, and this is why I wanted to discuss it here, because it's unlike anything else that we've discussed of all our time travel films and television shows, because in this one, time is literally the like the enemy. Right. It's not just a thing. It's like an entity. Yes. So I was really curious to get your take on that and see what you thought about it. Briefly, what did you think? Uh, I, I, I fear I may disappoint you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, and, and perhaps maybe it's the British flair or, or the production or whatever. I now know more about what I watched based off of your summary and the stuff that you've looked up than by watching the actual show. <laughs> um, and, and fortunately, some of the the the, the two magazine sources uh, they, they they will they will at least back me up a little bit when we get into that later. The first episode in particular played out more like you were watching a stage play than an episode of anything. But what I struggled with throughout all six episodes of of this particular assignment, as they call it, I didn't know what was going on. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, like... They are, you, you have to just accept, the, it, it, maybe it's almost part of it. Uh, the, you're almost coming at this from the perspective of the children that are in the series. You know nothing about what's going on. So you don't know the motivations of anything. You don't know who these people are. It's unclear what they're doing. It's unclear what's being, what's attacking you or why. Um, so from that perspective, it's got a nice little creepy factor to it. I will give it that for yeah, absolutely for good, yeah. almost total lacking of any real good special effects or anything. It does quite a bit with what it doesn't have. But again, as I'm watching it, I like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I was struggling with it. And then because it, it it's British, it's dry. It, it it the 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 storytelling and the acting is very robotic. Um, hmm. And then um, until you get to the lead character, and that's a whole other <laughs> thing to get together. But uh, but yeah, like uh, like the they're not giving you enough background. I don't feel like I don't. I I understand how living in a in, in kind of a fog living in that okay I'm like everybody else in here I don't know what's happening but 
I don't know why I'm supposed to trust these characters either. The this sapphire and steel that show up, and it get, it, it gets into some weird psychology. But uh, I was struggling mostly with probably the Britishness of it all, um, and, and the time in which it was done. Actually, I really thought this was from like more of the late '60s and early '70s than 1979. Oh, interesting. Okay, because. I would have thought with as much uh, sci-fi and horror and fantasy that was out by 1979, I don't know. I would have expected a little bit more. Um, I was struggling with a lot of a very... Because it's obviously cheaply done. I, I was loving how they kept doing scenes where... In order to, I, I don't know what they were going for, but the actors were so close to each other in the frame for some of the times that they're talking, but it's not like an intimate moment in any way, shape, or form. I'm like, isn't that a little uncomfortable? <laughs> like, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't we back the camera out a bit and let them stand like they're real human beings or something? I don't know. And the characters were, were very one-dimensional, um, especially the kid, um, mm. Rob. Rob didn't learn anything along the way. <laughs> he just... He shouted every line he had. <laughs> he was constantly in love with Sapphire. He looked up to Steel, even though... Let's just say it out loud. Steel's a dick. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No no argument here at all. No, and I think that's what he's supposed to be, but then I don't know why anyone wants to listen to him ever about anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're supposed. I get that they're kind of anti-hero heroes, but yeah, I was struggling. I was struggling hard. See, that's weird. I was just talking to my wife earlier today about this because I was I was excited to hear what you thought about it. And she she admits she sat and she was watching. She's watched it a little bit of it with me in the past, yeah. and she was watching a little bit uh, while I was watching these episodes again and she was saying you're like it's definitely one of the weirder ones that you watch mm -hmm. and it, it's I was like the thing that i could see a lot of people criticizing the show for as i is actually a lot of the stuff that i really like about it i actually like that it's kind of slow and methodical in its storytelling i like the fact that uh David McCallum plays Steel as well, like you said it. He, he's he's a dick. He's a jerk. He I is. mean, he he is. He knows he's the only man that can save somebody from whatever situation. He doesn't really care about the people he's saving. He's just kind of it's his job to protect them, right? Or to stop, and not even to protect them, just to stop this incursion of time, right? And really, if the humans get saved in the process, that's fine, but that's not his goal. And it makes him very alien. It, and I really like that. And I like the fact that Sapphire is very much the opposite of that, where she has a little bit more, but not completely human emotion, but she's a little bit more sympathetic. But she still looks, I think she looks at the, the humans that are in danger as more of pets. Yeah, no, and I got that, and, and and I appreciated some of that, but what what it was is every time that they 
inched toward character development, we jumped out of it almost as quickly. Because it's clear, uh, like you said, uh, Steel is is an entity on a job, and, and that's all he cares about is getting that job done, and everything else doesn't matter. But they kept alluding to a thing that had happened before mm-hmm. on, um, I, I forget the name of the ship, Mary, Mary Celeste. Mary Celeste. And, and he he was involved in that. And we get little nuggets of that here and there, but it would get dropped as quickly as before. So during this time, we got we have six episodes and almost no character development whatsoever. That's another thing I liked about the show, though, is that you said it earlier. You, you know, you you jump in and you have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And again, I appreciate that we don't need all this fluff to explain things. Sure. This is the way it is. I, I don't know what character development you really needed or wanted from Sapphire and Steel. They are not really characters that need developing, in my opinion. They they mentioned past adventures or a past assignment, you know, on the Mary Celeste or whatever, and that doesn't have any real bearing on this other than just saying this is something that they do. It gives it does give them a little bit of backstory in that, you know, this isn't the first time. Right. And they've they've done this in the past and they're just giving you some some name to to kind of that you kind of recognize and it's supposed to be the Mary Celeste and it's this big mystery and and all this stuff and turns out they had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. What more do you really need out of that? It it's just since this was clearly intended to run as a series if it had gotten to do it as it actually ran longer than you would th- would have thought considering it's considered kind of a failure uh but i mean it it got four seasons so, mm-hmm. such as they were i mean they right uh, actually the, as runs go that it, it was comparable to anything that comes out today so <laughs> truly could be like a a netflix or prime streaming program yeah exactly cuz i mean it, getting a like a 14 episode run for a season that's actually considered big these days right so so uh it it got all of that it's just if you're building toward this being a series uh, and these are your main characters you would hope to find out a little bit more about them you're supposed to care at some point and they are so alien and they are so separate from the the other characters that they're entering interacting with um well you get alienated from them so see i don't know if you're supposed to care about them i think you're supposed to care about everybody else this first assignment then did, failed on that cuz those <laughs> kids were driving me absolutely insane <laughs> here's the thing okay get You've got two kids in a house where their parents have disappeared. They're awfully accepting of these two other characters that show up and just say that they're here to help. Um, but like like I said, one is an is a jerk, and as sympathetic as the Sapphire character is, she is not 
all there. Like, she is very ethereal in, in her presence. So it, it's almost like she's a ghost unto herself because uh, she is not projecting anything. She cares a little bit more, but she is she is there to have sparkly blue eyes and to to do things. And I could get into that, too, because while it it's never clear what their abilities are, like they just make things up as they go. Um, yeah, I think their abilities are as the plot demands. Right. Um, and as some of uh, was written, yeah, it really depends on what's going on in the episode as to what. But I mean, and again, I get it. Lower budget. Uh, we're not going to do much in effects. But when one of the powers is to stand really still, it's, it's kind of like okay, or to just get a really tense look on your face and you're supposed to be accepting that something is happening when we don't even understand the baddie in this. Like, mm-hmm. there are there are flashlight beams being pointed to the floor and they, they move around, but we don't know what their motivation is or why they're doing any of this or what is really happening because ghosts appear and disappear. They... They can do stuff to you, but they don't do stuff to you. It it was a little all over the map, and, and I was having a hard time going. Okay, what what are, what story are we telling here? What are we what are we trying to accomplish? And then why am I supposed to care about these damn kids? Who <laughs> they might as well have been just kidnapped at this point. <laughs> they'll get, they'll go with anybody. <laughs> I think they actually did a pretty nice job of Rob being fairly untrusting of Sapphire and Steel. Yes. More so Steel than Sapphire. He was definitely taken with Sapphire. <laughs> Almost a and, little too taken. As, as, as was Helen. Helen, you know, took to her as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's probably kind of why Sapphire and Steel are a team. Because they need someone that can get the job done. And they need someone to be the liaison. Yeah. And... I, no, but I thought they did a pretty good job of Rob not really trusting them until they started showing off the, some of the things that they can do, and he started seeing what was going on. He started seeing the ghosts. He started seeing this, you know, the weird happenings up in the bedroom, and then realizing that they seem to know what's happening, or at least have an idea of what's transpiring, and that, that maybe they can do something, which is why he, after, at that point, decides, all right, I'll stick with you guys. Okay, and then I'm going to throw a wrench in there because during almost every episode when Rob would explain that he has experienced or seen something, Steele's reaction is that he's an idiot and doesn't know what he's talking about, even though he knows full well that he's there to deal with the same things that Rob is busy explaining to him. I don't remember really picking that up out of Steele. Oh, I, that that was the... That was one of the vibes that was really grating on me is uh, is that, yeah, uh, every time, um, like the first time Rob goes up the stairs and he it's his he thinks his mother's calling to him and trying to talk him into doing this. And when he comes back down and the whole event is all over, Steele's not really uh, following him at all. He's he's very um adversarial about the whole thing and I'm like wait you're the one that by no, I, I I think I don't, I don't want to 
put words in your or try to no no no, um, no, no, no. this I just I'm just wondering if you're maybe misinterpreting Steele's um, interrogation of Rob. Perhaps uh, interrogating him, trying to get answers from Rob. Like, so you heard the voice. It sounded like your mother. More of trying to get the facts and doing it in the cold manner of which Steele is accustomed, and and you know, and that's just his personality. Uh, and I, I just wonder if you're misinterpreting that for, I don't believe you. <laughs> Perhaps. It, 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 the way that the whole exchange and delivery, again, this is where Rob is screaming his lines. Uh, and, of course, Steele's being a dick. Uh, and so maybe that, maybe you're right. It, it's his approach that I, I am reading in a different way. But it was it was a little off-putting to me. And then... I'm just going to throw this out here because uh, this is a trope through everything. Who has boards of that size in their homes at all times so that they can nail things shut? <laughs> the same kind of person that would have dozens of wind-up clocks in the damn house. <laughs> I, I I suppose, but they're they're always convenient and available. They're all about the same size. <laughs> just. Right. I I well and then I was particularly laughing because he's hammering uh, these wood planks in place for a door that opens in. Yeah. So well. the baddie can still <laughs> open the door, <laughs> and, and there's plenty of room through those slats. So I'm like, <laughs> nah, did you really stop anything? Yeah, well, I wonder how much of it was trying to keep it in versus keeping Rob and Helen out. I, 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 that was the the one thing where I like go, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, that was the only thing is they were trying to keep the kids from going back into the room. But I'm like, mm -hmm. eh, couldn't you just tell the kids not to go into the room? There's something scary yeah. in there. Don't go in there. <laughs> You've mentioned the budget on the show. Yes, it. They were able to get a little extra money out of. Uh, the production office because they've got the bigger name stars sure. to appear and everything. But that being said, it was still a very minuscule budget. Mm -hmm. um, I actually thought for the money that they had to work with the actual set that they had constructed for this house, which is like a effectively like a quad level or something. I think yeah, it was no, definitely it was a, a very, fun uh, a funky layout. Yeah. Well, it was a, I think kind of typical British country house where it had probably been built upon it over several generations. Oh, sure. So one small room that may have been like, you know, the kitchen suddenly, then they added the living room and then they added the second floor and then they added the third floor and the fourth floor and that sort of thing. So that kind of worked for me. That, oh, that yeah. was fine. Um, and then I actually think the effects, I thought they pulled off really well with this. The, the animated, uh, flashlights or whatever on the floor maybe are a little they look a little bit on the cheap side but I thought they were effective for what they need to do and everything else the uh, uh, steel when he you know brings himself to absolute zero to freeze and destroy these things the effects that they were using uh, which was a lot of like flash cut uh, editing and stuff like that I thought they actually did a really nice job. I was pretty impressed with some of the uh, the effects in this. 
Oh yeah, uh, well, and which is why I pick on the the flashlight thing is uh, uh, when they were doing the ghosts and all that. Those were actually fairly effective. I, I liked the way they did that. I liked when there were, when it was the blinding light coming from around the corner. Um, mm-hmm. Easy to do, highly effective, especially if you throw in something moving in front of it. That uh, super easy to do. I just thought the uh, so somebody's pointing mirrors at the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think they went that far. I really think those were probably etched in the film or animated afterwards. Yeah, so uh, it, it, that was the only thing that kind of, with that, it kind of, I get that they're just trying to convey the entities such as they were, were moving around and changing location in the house. Um, but, um, but it was that one, I, I'll, I'll give it... <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it some room, um, and I, I gotta say, uh, I, I'm not gonna try to crap all over <laughs> this, but just from uh, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a British TV watcher of the day, watching this, maybe it's worse when we're when we're watching it straight through like we are, but. The first five minutes of every episode after the first is the last five minutes of the episode prior. Oh, yeah. No, you could easily um, go and edit these together into one long, like, hour and a half story. Sure, you absolutely could. But because we're watching it the way that we're watching it, that became super tedious. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get that. I'm just going to take this moment to pick on this particular thing. I especially love that it's up on IMDb, too. Because, uh, again, it's 1979. You should know some things. And to say that your audience is an idiot and all that. So it always starts out, and I am going to read it word for word just because it's fun. So the voiceover. I could just play it. Then I will let you play it. Irregularities will be handled by the forces controlling each dimension. Transuranic heavy elements may not be used where there is life. Medium atomic weights are available. Gold, lead, copper, jet, diamond, radium, sapphire, silver and steel. Sapphire and steel have been assigned. They actually went to the trouble of mentioning like atomic weights and all of that in that opening sequence, and then they proceed to use things that don't that aren't what they're saying they are. They're not elements. They're not elements. Like sapphire (laughs) and steel. Sapphire and steel (laughs) are not elements. Jet is not an element. Diamond they're only uh, in what I was reading. They're only giving them diamond from the perspective of it is carbon. Right. So carbon is an element. Diamond is just a a a form that it can take. So okay, but the re- but jet sapphire and steel not a thing. 
so, yeah, that was. I guess it sounded cool. It, I'm sure it did, but but and I I know a lot of sci-fi, especially through the '70s, just took giant liberties with some yeah. of the the science uh, that they would. But this would this was low-hanging fruit. Every well, kid goes through a chemistry class. Well, and I think the names were given. They definitely wanted to go with the whole element theme. Mm-hmm. But I think the names, they could have easily chosen any other names of the elements. I mean, they, they could have easily have been silver and somebody else or lead and, you know, something. They could have picked something. But I think they had the characters and their personalities hammered, and they wanted something that fit the personalities. Well, and they wanted the alliteration, Sapphire and Steve. Possibly, yeah. But I mean, steel is 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 hard and unmoving, and I think I, I think the character came before the name, or they had the name and then the character, and then they figured out, oh, let's work in the period, periodic table somehow, and they just went, eh, well, screw it. I know steel's not, but it works. We uh, really like that. And, and I guess uh, silver and sodium wasn't as sexy. Exactly. <laughs> You do not want to work with sulfur. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no. When, when you have to watch six of these back to back and they say it over and over again, you're like, snails on a chalkboard. <laughs> Stop it. Stop saying that. It's not. No. Well, I'm glad I started you out with a six-parter and not an eight-parter. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you and I would have to have words. <laughs> Although I have to admit, there is an eight-parter that takes place in a disused train station. And I honestly wonder if you'd like that one. Or that's the next, uh, that's assignment two, isn't it? Yeah, which is the next season. That's the, yeah. Actually, that's still considered first season. Oh, is it? Okay, my mistake. I wonder if you'd like that story more if you didn't just sit through the intro eight times. Well, see, now that I... And here's the thing. I, I discount nothing. Um, as with everything, this is the launch uh, of a series, and there are always bugs at the beginning anyway. So... Sure. Now that uh, that I would have that under my belt, I didn't hate it. I just... It, there were times it just ground on me a little bit, and it's slow. Uh, not that yeah. it needs to be... I get the methodical thing, but the fact that you you have to rewatch the uh, the five minutes, um, they're trying to build an atmosphere, and they're doing it completely cold. You don't know what's going on, so I get that it comes off a little slow out out of the gate, but it wasn't my best time. <laughs> Believe me, I understand. This is a show that I don't think there really is anyone that goes yeah that's okay i i think you really get it or you're just like yeah it's not for me it is a very weird and strange series and it's a weird way of of storytelling and it's a universe that yeah it doesn't go into great detail as to trying to expand on or explain it simply is and you have to accept it right I myself argue the those ones every once in a while where you you're supposed to be in the position of 
the characters where this is just coming at you just like you if you were there. You know as much information as they do. And, and I can get on board with that a little bit. It's just a... It, if I were to truly put myself in the position of those kids, I'd want out of there as soon as possible, and I don't want to deal with these two because they are tripping me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm really wondering what you would think of the next two stories, actually. Two of them, even. <laughs> the the one about the uh, the photographs, which I think is the third assignment, it, had, it takes some twisted dark turns here and there and it's got some really neat themes is that I think time that might capsule? be a, hmm is that time capsule or photographs photographs like maybe that's the fourth assignment that's the fourth assignment yeah interesting I'm curious if I figured out a way to edit them into a, a long form story like movie versus uh, episodic well even if uh, I were to rewatch even if I were to watch more episodes, I just know to skip to the, uh, well, probably pass the title sequence because I don't, I, I can't listen to that too many more times either. Right. <laughs> but, or if you just gave it time in between the episodes where you weren't like assigned to watch something within, you know, a, a week or two to talk about it on a recording that you could do it at your leisure. Challenge accepted. Put up the next eight, and I will take them as I can take them. All right. Well, and I'll I'll preface those with the first time I watched those eight stories, I did not care for it. Okay. The second time I went and rewatched it, I really I just I think the first time I wasn't as invested in it. I wasn't really paying attention. Okay. And the second time through, I really decided I'm going to watch this. And in doing so, I realized that what I thought was a lot of padding, I realized I I honestly don't think there's any moment that is wasted. Hmm. But it is eight stories. And like I said, it's it's very methodical. I mean, you but you have to get you have to start with A and you have to hit all the points in between to get the Z. Gotcha. <laughs> or or Z since we're talking British. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh what why don't we talk real quick about time and time travel in this since we tend to visit sure. Each of these things, because uh, yeah, well, yeah, and this was definitely not the same sort of time travel that we've dealt with in previous. Uh, there was elements of time travel in that. That's kind of how they explain ghosts and disappearances. Yes. The fact that 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 time itself is a character. They they say that, but it's kind of uncertain how that really works uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I get the notion especially in this assignment one series um, that something there's an entity they're calling it time but it's unclear how time is its own entity that is doing these things when what we are seeing though is um, intersections of the time at this particular place, this house, 
and the variations of things that have happened in this location in the span of its entirety. So uh, we jump around from, um, I mean, actually we end with the the foundation of this particular house being laid. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually get introduced earlier back to the days of the plague and this was likely a cottage first that was on this land before it was a house. Um, that cottage is probably gone, and now there's a house. But you do get that notion that if if it's not necessarily time, I'm not I'm struggling with the time itself being the enemy in this case. But clearly, something is causing uh, a convergence of different times to all take place in this house. It's not because again, we're on a weaker budget and we're trying to tell the story as we want to. We're not hyper focused on that, but I did get that that's Mm -hmm. where time travel and time in in general comes into play for this is it's, it's kind of collapsed in on itself at this one point driven by something that wants it to happen. I, again, it's unclear why. <laughs> right. Well, that's another thing, too, that this series takes up that I thought was very unique is, is that old stuff is bad. You know, look to the future because that's the only safe place. <laughs> Which is always a little odd. It kind of eliminates that whole we need to learn from what we've done before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can learn from it, but we don't have to have it around us. <laughs> well, and, and there is something to be said for that. Uh, it, it, if everything that we, if you think about it, and if anything that we have ever built over the course of our history, at what point um, can we improve? Like, if you think about it, uh, uh, actually, Europe in general is a great example <laughs> Uh, of how the past and the future don't go together very well. All you have to do is try to drive around any of the old cities. <laughs> yeah, uh, like it doesn't. They don't fit. Actually, I can. I don't even have to go to Europe. Go to Boston. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Been there. Seen that. Right. Yeah. It, it can be very difficult. Getting around in old Boston, the North End, can be very difficult to do. And it's because we don't want to tear anything old down because we want to appreciate our history. And I get that to a degree, but if everything is ultimately something we have to hang on to because it's a part of history, when when do you get to a new spot? <laughs> right. Do we yeah, have no, to I leave just... Earth because at one point Earth is going to be an antique that we right. cannot <laughs> we we can't we can't mow anything down, we can't make anything better, we can't do it another way because we can't disturb the pristine nature of history. So it's yeah, a struggle. I, yes, but I thought it was very unique in this show that having the antiques, having the old stories yes. or the antiques in a modern setting or in a modern time could prove hazardous. I just that was very interesting and kind of like a uh, you know let's let's plow on into the future. You know, one word: plastics. <laughs> <laughs> 
Interestingly enough, and since you've brought up the antiques and the old stuff, and part of what they were doing to defeat um, the entity in this was kind of a trigger for me there. They started burning books. <laughs> yes, it's so bizarre, isn't it? It, it really is. And, and, and that one just, that, that kind of hurt to, to watch that done, especially these days, right now. I mean, we thought we were done with that from the 40s. So yeah, it is that is a little uncomfortable. I mean, I understand why they were doing it in the in the um, setting of this particular story. Right. But it is very strange and odd. Oh, and they could have gone way darker. Way darker. Because as they're burning the books, the whole reason they're doing that is they're trying to eliminate the words, the... Uh, the repetition that is feeding the entity that is causing the time to collapse on itself. I mean, all, all those nursery rhymes that are still in Helen's head. Yes. And, yeah. and when, <laughs> when Sapphire is looking at Helen and realizing it, I can destroy all of this, but it's still sitting there right in front of me. Mm-hmm. We could have gone somewhere really dark. Oh yes, <laughs> that's where this show. If you would remake this show today, that would have happened. That's, Helen that's where you died. go. <laughs> yeah. Helen would have had to have died. Yeah. The only thing saving Rob is uh, he—he's essentially purged his nursery rhymes because he thinks he's too old. Right. So he barely remembers them. And why on that topic? That is something that I will admit and will and I feel I have to bring up is at the end of everything, supposedly they've sealed this particular breach and destroyed these entities. But in the end, nothing's changed. The yeah. house is back to the way it was. The clocks are still all around. And the parents and Helen are still enjoying nursery rhymes in her bedroom. Right. So it's like, what? exactly has happened and how is it okay now that this is going on i feel like it, they could have filled your gap if they had done one thing having all the entities go into a single brick and then crushing it is the resolution to the entire problem right uh, again this is where what <laughs> like so i'm, I'm having kind of like what did i just watch yeah, that, that final 20 minutes of this story does feel like a little bit of, we need to wrap this up. <laughs> kind of, and it's kind of like, we don't actually know how we're going to wrap this up. Yes. Like, we don't yes. know. It, 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 it was kind of funny. You did make a good point with that statement is while watching this, I felt like long slog, long slog, long slog, long slog, quick to the end. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, like they, they had an idea and then kind of went away, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they could have filled in your gap if we had panned to a shot of the basement and there's a brick missing as if, as long as that had never made it into the house, right? then the entity can't get in and therefore nothing happened. Right. And that's what they were going for, at least with that ending. Helen and her parents are in the room reading nursery rhymes. 
and seem completely oblivious to all of the activities that just happened. Rob, for whatever reason, has some inkling that something has happened because mm-hmm. he's he's dumbstruck that his parents and and his sister are there, and then they you get an obligatory goodbye, right? But then you're to assume at this point all things return to exactly as they were supposed to have been. Yeah. But they should have shown the brick missing. I think that might have helped you out. Maybe having shown the brick earlier in the story that had the uh, the inscription on it, and then at the end of the story, see that wall where that brick is in place, but no inscription, so it had been replaced by something that not as tied with the, the history of the yes. house or something. Chekhov would not be pleased. Yes, yes. Because we didn't introduce that brick at the in the first act. Yes. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to point out, too, this was something when I first time i saw this story rob goes up to the bedroom at the end his parents are back in there and immediately his mom jumps down his throat you should be doing your homework right you filthy cow (laughs) (laughs) you have any idea what i just went through for the last 24 hours to save your ass (laughs) right and you jumped down my throat like that uh, I just wanted to return my, you know, my sister's doll. Well, fine, great. Now get back to work. What the hell? <laughs> Maybe there's a reason he latched on to Sapphire and Steel so quickly. <laughs> the yeah, I think that answers a lot of your questions about that. <laughs> Rob Rob has unfortunately some issues with his parents. Yeah, uh, yeah. One, he's been driven insane by his dad's ticking clocks. <laughs> uh, he's almost led to his murder, at least by a figure appearing as his dad. Who, yes. He, who he follows implicitly despite having total misgivings about everything the man is doing and saying. I, we could go on and on, but I mean, that, yeah. there was there were things that were happening that you were supposed to, I think, believe had some meaning, but then they never get around to knowing why there's any meaning to certain things. Like, one of the things I was hyper-focused on since we brought up uh, Rob and his dad um, is when they obviously go into another point in time uh, to evade Sapphire and Steel and all that, and they're walking through the house... Rob's dad is insisting on holding his hand mm-hmm. and never breaks connection holding the hand all the way down in the basement, all the way until Rob is actually at the when the house is being built. Mm-hmm. That's when finally they break the connection. Obviously, that meant something, but we're not given any satisfaction in it. Not sure why the physical contact um, means as much, and, and maybe they want that. Maybe they're we're, the fact that I am drawn to that and talking about it. I'm giving it something. It maybe it didn't mean anything. Yeah. But I just felt like we were supposed to know something that we just didn't know, and that was bugging me. <laughs> right. Well, I think the entire series can be kind of summed up with just ambiguous. Yes. 
And that's what I was struggling with. I mean, I don't need to be spoon-fed. I don't need Captain Exposition in, in every m- movie and TV series to to give me everything that I can't get by some other means. I'm, I'm an intelligent human being. It's just... There were enough things that I'm like, I need, I need more. <laughs> I, I need something, and you're not even subtly giving it to me. <laughs> like, I, I just wanted a little more impetus for why is this happening and who are these people. Real quick, I was curious if you were familiar with the, either of the main actors prior to this. David McCollum, I know I have seen in a good jillion things. Um, so. well, since 2003, he's been appearing on NCIS, for one thing. Yes. And that's what's kept been keeping him busy for quite a while. Yeah. And yes, he's been in a number of things. Uh, he was in The the Man from U.N.C.L.E. back in 64 uh, to however long that ran as Ilya Kuryakin. There was a short-lived uh, Invisible Man TV series in which he starred. Yeah, he's been a voice actor for a gajillion things. But I'm very curious. Joanna Lumley, Ah. I know you and I used to watch a lot of Comedy Central. Yes. And when it wasn't MST, the other thing that was always on Comedy Central was absolutely fabulous. That's where I remember her from. And while I don't think either of us really ever watched the show much, the ads were in. Just constantly they, they, running. They were constant. The, the ads alone, I'm surprised I didn't watch more of that show, to be honest, because the ads <laughs> were kind of hysterical. Yes. And they were always on. We're, we'd watch, you know, you'd record VHS, whatever, of Mystery Science Theater, mm-hmm. and at the end of every commercial break or whatever, it was another commercial for Absolutely Fabulous. <laughs> and I, we'd see... We'd see Joanna Lumley as Patsy uh, uh, falling all over something, drunk as hell. You know what? I hadn't connected the two while I was busy <laughs> watching this, and now I don't think I could ever unsee it. <laughs> I think uh, I think they need to remake it with <laughs> with Sapphire totally in Pat being Patsy. <laughs> There's got to be a special or something that that's happened. I have to think someone's recreated that <laughs> and merged the two. Yeah, a little uh, a little creative video editing. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'd be fun. But uh, yeah, no, and uh, yeah, da- David, uh, like I know him from his voice being on a gajillion things. Uh, uh, apparently he's played Alfred a couple of times. Yeah, he was definitely in, in several uh, Batman uh, animated um movies and television series yep yep and then he did uh, lots of oh yeah yeah he, i remember wonder woman and he was zeus so yes no i'm quite familiar with him but i did the connection to patsy that's that's just great that's hilarious all right well i know you were saying earlier that you were having a little trouble finding any kind of reviews or anything we did dig up a couple uh magazines from uh, genre magazines or whatever. Did you were able to glean anything out of them? Yeah, like uh, there's a magazine that you sent, uh, Fantasy Image, uh, an article by um, Gary Russell. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because uh, in both articles they go through the entirety of the series. 
So yeah. they're actually incredibly long reads. Uh, but just uh, from the first series, uh, what we watched, Assignment 1, uh, I, I did take away from this, uh, it goes... In many ways, this series, with its most original title of Sapphire and Steel, I think that's tongue-in-cheek, um, ought to have bombed. So tacky and ill-conceived was the original idea. So, um, <laughs> so in the analysis of this particular writer, they, they go on to d- discuss um, much of the elements and not understanding where this was supposed to fit. They recognize that this is completely different from most things that have been out to date, but weren't understanding where the creators of this wanted it to sit as trying to develop an audience. Because they talk about the fact that they included children in the first, in the first assignment, which kind of begged along the lines of like early doctor who the maybe this was for kids yeah um but that's the last time the children apparently <laughs> were on the show and because of the creepy factor this definitely wasn't for children so um the article pretty much kind of goes it's not that it was and it's kind of where I'm sitting with it it's not that it's bad it's just it's not clear what it wanted to be and how it was going to con- get it to that audience. So, um, maybe maybe a little ahead of its time, or maybe just misunderstood. That was kind of where that article was going with it. And then um, mm-hmm. the other article, I, I couldn't make out who actually wrote this thing, but it's from a, a magazine called Infinity. Probably a British one. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I couldn't find the uh, article's author, so it may just be staff writer of some kind. But uh, they, too, also kind of go through uh, the bulk of the series, and they had much more upbeat feel of it. They just felt like um, the way that it was aired because it got into some of the technicals of how the the show was aired in Britain and it got bounced around so many times it, yeah. it, it, it was having a hard time building its audience so yeah the, the, the writers about this think there's something there but couldn't quite latch on to it so and, and I think that's where I sit with it too I I I found myself both irritated and compelled at the same time. <laughs> All right, very interesting. It tells me a lot, actually. No, it. Um, I really enjoy this series because it is so ambiguous. Because it is so out there, and there is no hard, fast. You know, this is the answer. There's just none of it, and right. you you are left with as many questions at the end as you were at the beginning. And I, I, I dig that a lot out for this series. Maybe it is just the, the British thing. Uh, obviously I'm not British, but I have watched a great deal of British, uh, comedy. I've watched a great deal of British sci-fi. I've watched a, a fair amount of like 
British drama, and and maybe that's just um, maybe I'm just a little bit more well versed in and it, where it's coming from, and the, so maybe there's like like a translation <laughs> kind of issue between. It could be because uh, I, I know one of the series that you like rather quite a bit is The Prisoner. Yeah, I, I was just sitting here thinking, not going to show Tom The Prisoner. He's not going <laughs> to like this. See, I don't. Wanna, I, 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 I'm not trying to come off unsophisticated. I just need a little bit more. I I have no problem adding my imagination to to a thing, but this one just kind of comes in and goes out. Um, and it didn't leave me satisfied. I didn't feel like I got told a story. I think it's the surrealism, uh, which be. is definitely how I would describe the prisoner. The, the, most of the, the prisoner is just, it's completely surreal. And by the time you get to the end of that series, that final story, absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> you, could put, you could put all the greatest brains in the world to that, and none of them would be able to come up with what the hell that meant and i'm okay with that (laughs) (laughs) i'm okay with it but i gotta have characters they actually care (laughs) and and in this first assignment they could just all go (laughs) all right if if time had collapsed on itself and, and taken all of them with the exception of lead I enjoyed Led rather quite. We a bit. didn't even talk about Led. Yeah, he was a he was a larger than life, literally <laughs> larger than life character. Excellent singer. <laughs> Loud. Them singing the the sea shanty, uh, which I, why singing the sea shanty had anything to do with keeping Rob safe? Because again, it'd be that, just that, the opposite. Right, <laughs> it's an old and, and, sea shanty. <laughs> Well, yeah, because that was having yeah, exactly. It's no different than uh, than reading off a nursery rhyme. It's repetitive and it's historically bound. So right. it was having the the wrong effect. But but again, it, it was unclear why any of that would have any effect that they actually wanted it to have, and that was that was bugging me (laughs) why are you guys doing any of the things that you're saying and how is that supposed to fix anything Uh, there's ambiguous and then there's just lost (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was feeling lost so i'm thrilled that you love these things and and i love that you challenged me with them but this one did not hit its mark like I think you would have hoped. <laughs> no, no, I'm. I will admit I'm a little disappointed. I, I was. I was hoping you'd, you'd dig it. But it makes for good conversation. <laughs> it has made for a great conversation, and I I do appreciate you. You know, sitting through them and 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 watching the whole thing for it, and uh, you know, talking about it here on the show. Yeah. No, happy to. And I, I and I challenge accepted. I'll watch some more. You put them up. I'll I'll give it a shot. All right, well, that'll do it for Sapphire and Steel. Uh, we'd really appreciate your thoughts on this series. I know there's a lot of fans out there, probably mostly on the other side of the pond, <laughs> but there's probably a few here in the States. Next time, we are going to finish up our The Time Machine. <laughs> We've watched the first Time Machine. We have watched the made-for-TV 1970s The Time Machine. So now we're going we're gonna to wrap it up with the 2002 Time Machine starring Guy Pierce. Not quite the trilogy that you would think, but 
<laughs> no. <laughs> but should be fun to visit. Yeah, we definitely wanted to squeeze this one in there before uh, before the end of the year. And this is going to be uh, one of our last chances because this year is quickly coming to a close. I'm excited to watch this one again. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Uh, I think I saw this actually in the theater. Oh, did you? I'm trying to remember. I think I saw it in the theater. If not in the theater, I saw it when it first came to home video. Yes. No, I'm pretty sure that's when I saw it. And I actually liked it enough to buy the DVD. Oh, wow. So it's, okay. It, it's a remake that's in my collection, which is a rarity it is for a me. Rarity. And I think I've watched it once since, but it's been ages. And I... I'm going to say may have been as much as a decade because unbelievably this is 20 years old already. Yes. And this will lead to good conversation from what I remember. Um, this, this one does have some focus on the inevitability of time. Yes. Yes. So no, that'll be fun to, to discuss. This is going to re spark the conversation about uh, time loops once again. <laughs> Yes, bring it on. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple weeks with that. Thank you very much for listening. Any uh, opinions, thoughts, or feedback, send them to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com or pop over to any of the social. Uh, the link is in the show notes. We will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. See ya.